millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Storm Barra is not over. The public's being warned with schools in 12 counties across the country to remain closed tomorrow as Dublin is also added to that list of closures tonight. Minister for the Office of Public Works and Flood Relief, Patrick O'Donovan, met Aaron Siobhan Ryan and our Midwestern reporter Eric Clark will bring us the very latest. The sector with the highest number of people in receipt of pub payments is the wholesale and retail trade sector with almost 9,000 people working here getting the payment. Economics correspondent Paul Colgan will give his expert analysis and later is the bank of mum and dad the only hope for first-time buyers owning a home. Social Democrats TD Keen O'Callaghan and Fianna Fáil Senator Mary Fitzpatrick debate with some expert advice from financial consultant Paul Merriman. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. People are still being warned that Storm Barra poses a threat as the slow-moving storm tracks right across Ireland. Our reporter, Nicole Gurnan, has been taking a look at the impact the storm has had so far. Described as a weather bomb, Storm Barra made landfall on the west coast in the early hours of this morning. Dramatic footage captured at Fastnet Lighthouse off Cork shows the full force of the sea as waves battered the rock and its helipad. Storm surges have caused overtopping and coastal flooding in some areas and defences were breached in several locations including Dungarvan. So we did see mean winds of 111 kilometres per hour in Cherkin Island in County Cork with gusts of 135 kilometres per hour. So really very severe gusts in the southwest. There's been one report that someone was injured after they fell from a height in Cork City and authorities are investigating whether it's storm related. Tens of thousands of homes are without electricity with power lines down across the country. The storm isn't over yet. It's going to change the, through the course of the day and we will be restoring customers both remotely and on site when safe to do so. Fallen trees have blocked roads with a motorist in Wicklow having a lucky escape. Some planes had difficulties landing while other flights were cancelled or diverted and unsecured trampolines were causing issues on roads in Kilkenny with people rushing to their back gardens throughout the country to secure them. Red and orange warnings remain in place for several counties with a yellow alert also in place for the entire country into tomorrow. Overnight tonight, very strong winds right across the country and very strong gusts. So really across the country, more damage is likely overnight tonight. People are being warned that they will still need to take extra care if they have to make any journeys tomorrow. Nicole Gurnan reporting there. Well, our Midwestern reporter, Eric Clark, is in a very windy Lahinch in County Clare tonight for us. Um, Eric, thanks for hanging on there tonight. It's been a wild day. On red alert, the county has been indeed all day today um, and it remains that way tonight. So how has the storm impacted where you are? 
Yes, Claire. Well, people in the county of Clare uh, woke up this morning to strong winds and heavy rain. It was under uh, an orange weather warning uh, from 6 a.m. Uh, but we were filming along uh, the west coast here throughout the day, and it was very noticeable from around 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, that the weather conditions were deteriorating rapidly. It was obvious that wind speeds had picked up significantly, resulting in driving rain, although it has to be said uh, that rain showers had been sporadic here uh, throughout the day. Now, Clare is the last remaining county under a status red uh, weather warning, which came into effect at 4pm and remains in effect until 1 o'clock in the morning. The advice during this period is do not travel uh, due to the very high winds and severe and damaging gusts. Uh, fire crews from North Clare, uh, Ennis, Shannon and Kilkee are out tonight in dangerous conditions, uh, clearing away trees and other debris as well as wires uh, from roads. Uh, we're told that, thankfully, there have been no uh, road traffic collisions in County Clare attributed to Storm Barra, and partly because uh, traffic has been very light on the roads as people have uh, taken notice of the advice to stay indoors and to stay at home. Now, uh, the ESB networks are telling us tonight that across the country there are around 38,000 homes, farms and businesses uh, remaining without power. They're advising some of those customers to expect to be without power throughout the night and into tomorrow morning and even in some cases into tomorrow evening but they are continuing to work late into tonight and will resume uh, work again at first light in the morning. And Eric, schools indeed in the county are remaining closed tomorrow and that's the case in 11 other counties including Dublin we're hearing tonight where the status yellow has gone back to orange. Um, so for a second day there'll be schools right around the country closed and children staying at home. That's right, schools, creches and third level uh, institutions uh, in Donegal, Sligo, Leitrim, Cork, Kerry, Waterford, Limerick, Clare, Galway, Mayo and Wexford uh, being asked to stay closed tomorrow. And as you said there, uh, as Dublin is going back into uh, a status orange weather warning from 1am until 7am, uh, that advice also applies to schools in Dublin. Uh, the Department of Education say uh, this will allow for assessment of the impact of Storm Barra uh, to take place uh, to make sure that when schools do reopen that it is safe for them to do so. Okay, Eric, joining us from La Hinch in County Clare tonight. Thanks for that. Stay safe um, and thank you for bringing us that update from there. Now, the Minister of State uh, for the Office of Public Works and Flood Relief, Patrick O'Donovan, joins me now from County Limerick tonight. Minister, um, thank you for, for being with us tonight. What have you been hearing about the impact of this storm in the southwest where you are? We heard from Eric there um, in La Hinch, but of course it's, it's right across the region really that's borne the brunt um, of the storm. Yeah, well, I, I suppose really across the country, there's been a, a fairly um, a huge impact in terms uh, of, of the weather event today, starting off when it when it met a landfall early this morning um, in the southwest. Uh, in, uh, very early on, we had um, incidents of flooding in, uh, in Bantry, which again has uh, suffered a significant flooding event. Um, Cork City experienced flooding, um, but it didn't have property damage, um, and as did other towns in County Cork. And there has also been extensive damage uh, to roads um, and electricity outages all over Munster. 
uh, and Connacht as well, as Eric said there a while ago, there are thousands of customers uh, of ESB all over the country that are without electricity this evening. Nowadays, uh, I suppose the concern is, is its um, attention to the northwest um, in terms of, of the wind direction speeds have changed as well um, to a northern, northwestern direction. So the counties, particularly in the northwest, um, are of concern tonight, uh, particularly Sligo, Leitrim uh, and Donegal that didn't bear the brunt of the winds mm. this morning, uh, but certainly um, are probably in, in for a likely um, um, uh, strong uh, mm. uh, night of winds this evening. So what the concern would be is that people might think that the worst of the storm has passed, uh, but in actual fact, uh, in some areas, the, the worst of the storm may well yet uh, come uh, their way okay. through tonight and early in the, into the morning. So what uh, we're asking people uh, through the local authorities and the national authorities is to continue to observe uh, the guidance uh, from Angarda Síochána mm. and the statutory authorities, which is to remain at home and not to travel. Okay, um, particularly vulnerable areas. You mentioned there Bantry. Um, 23 premises at least were impacted um, by, by flood damage by the storm that hit there early this morning. And, and people there say it's really highlighted the need for Cork County Council and the government to move on a flood relief plan that's costing about 6.5 million euro. Where there are gaps in funding, can you guarantee that they'll now be filled, that places like Bantry will get the relief they need and be assured that something like th they'll be protected if something like this should happen again. Well, actually, in relation to flood relief schemes and, and the delivery of flood relief schemes, funding isn't the issue at all. Uh, the biggest issue in relation to the delivery of flood, re flood relief schemes is, is planning uh, and, and the delays in relation to planning, and a lot of which is down to the protracted nature of the, 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 the type of schemes that are, um, that are out there to be delivered, um, most of which is down to um, environmental considerations that the Office of Public Works and the local authorities have to contend with. Um, these are uh, big in their nature, so we have to jump through some fairly arduous hoops to get them delivered. Um, the Office of Public Works are like any building contractor, we have to apply for planning permission. We oftentimes get objected to. Uh, in some cases, schemes are in any case up to 10, 20 years in some cases waiting for planning permission to be delivered. Okay. And this is torturous for many communities that are waiting uh, for flood relief schemes so uh, and in many cases are, are, are enduring, enduring uh, some uh, huge amounts of yeah. flooding time so and time again. What I'm asking you, Minister, is for those people who have flood damaged businesses and homes tonight and are looking for help, um, they're not really going to be assured by delays with pr planning processes and getting flood relief schemes in place. So what can be done immediately? And then is there a way that this can be fast-tracked to ensure that homes and businesses remain safe in the future? Well, what can be done immediately for the businesses in Bantry specifically is what will have is what will have been done previously as well. That the, the government will um, put in train the schemes that have uh, previously operated supports for businesses that have previously been hit by flooding. Um, but it is important to point out that those towns that have already uh, been protected by Office of Public Works and local authority flood relief schemes across Munster, um, they have held up. Now there will be inspections of these schemes in the next. Uh, 
24 or 48 hours. Uh, but many of the Cork towns and the South Munster towns that have had Office of Public Works and local authority schemes, it shows the value of them. Uh, but for, for, for Bantry in specific, um, uh, we are in the process of, uh, together with Cork County Council, of uh, um, putting in place the early uh, preliminaries there for designing that scheme. Uh, but it, that is a scheme that will have to go through detailed environmental considerations, because if we don't get um, that right, there's always somebody that's just waiting out in the long grass there to pop up an object. And unfortunately, it's never a person that objects, Claire. Um, uh, it's never a person, sorry, that floods that objects. And that's called comfort to people in Bantry this evening, because what's often the case that's happening, and I, I you know, I'm meeting this all over the country. It is never the people that floods um, that will lodge objections and, and put in delays against okay. the flood relief schemes that need to be delivered by the Office of Public Works. <clears throat> oh. And this is unfortunately a reality that we need to contend with and as a society. And I know it's a topic of, you know, that's on the tops of everybody's lips at the moment. Uh, but it's a, it's a pity that it's a, you know, it's a pity for me that it's not something that's of a greater level of interest, uh, you know, the other 364 days in the year. Well, I uh, because think, it is I an think issue in fairness, Minister, the, the inter I mean, whenever there is blood, we're always looking at places like Cork. We're always seeing the devastation, the damage, and people there are consistently saying we need to do something about this. They are, and it's the people that it's the people that are affected, or the people that are saying that something needs to be done with it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, other than the people who are affected by it, after that, it falls off the agenda, and you know, it falls off the. Unfortunately, it falls off the agenda. Okay. Um, it's you know, it's an issue for the Office of Public Works, Cork City Council, and Cork County Council. Uh, we're trying to get it dealt with, but unfortunately, when you're dragged in and out of courts, and you know, when you're getting schemes blocked and dealt with. Uh, by way of judicial reviews and every sort of an objection. Uh, in the meanwhile, you have innocent victims of flooding who are waiting yeah. anything up to 19 and 20 years to get their flood relief scheme delivered. Uh, you know, it is absolutely intolerable for those people oh. tonight as they're witnessing Storm Barrack, for instance, coming sweeping over them, that it's only a matter of maybe weeks months maybe for mm. the next Atlantic storm that's going to brew up to see where that's going to that's, dump the next amount is, of water on top. That is the big fear for many people tonight. We know Storm Barra hasn't even passed yet. We'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Minister of State Patrick O'Donovan. Um, meteorologist uh, Siobhan Ryan joins me now from Met Erin. Uh, Siobhan, thanks for being with us on Hi the you. show tonight. A very busy day indeed for all your team there. Can you bring us up to date on the national picture? Uh, the storm has been downgraded in some parts, but now we're seeing in Dublin, for example, where we were back down to a yellow alert, we're back up to an orange mm -hmm. alert, which means the closure of schools again tomorrow. So what, what's happening with the tracking of the storm right now? Um, well, it's it's following the track that we we we, we thought, and um, basically the centre of the low is currently in over um, Ulster at present. Um, I mean, it's far from past at the moment because of its tra trajectory um, in over Ulster and towards Scotland overnight tonight. That means we're going to get a swathe of of gale to storm force west to northwest winds moving down over Ireland. So obviously we still have um, warnings out, particularly up along the south and west of Ireland. Um, they still stand and nothing has changed there, but we have recently actually upgraded um, the yellow that was in place for Dublin. And we've upgraded that to an orange um, 
So that comes to pass between one o'clock tonight and seven o'clock tomorrow, tomorrow morning. A westerly in Dublin. Now, this is for different. It is quite different to the orange that was in place this morning for obviously the East Coast as well. That was for more coastal effects mm-hmm. along with the winds, where tonight really it is solely the winds that will be the main contender um, okay. as regards impacts. And that's mm-hmm. in place in Dublin, for example, because I know a lot of parents will be saying the schools were due to be open tomorrow and they're getting, you know, late confirmation from schools that, in fact, that's, that's, not, mm-hmm. um, that's not happening off the foot of um, the advice around yeah. the alerts. Um, but from mm-hmm. 7 a.m., it could be back down to yellow. Oh, Is that it will be back down to yellow from 7 a.m. OK, but the schools are going to remain closed regardless? Well, that's the decision, that's, I yeah, suppose, that's that, been made seems, tonight. That seems to be the case. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Um, I think um, normally we wouldn't have schools closed. With norm- schools wouldn't normally close for an orange or a yellow. Certainly for a red, they do. But obviously, it all depends on the impacts. Um, and if the orange you know, brings some damaging gusts, which it will do, um, obviously, there will be the aftermath of that. So there will be some clearing up that will be required. And now just to say, obviously, the yellow that stands for the rest of the country, that actually is a high end yellow. So potentially the gusts um, getting into the orange, even in kind of um, the North Midlands and other parts of Ireland as well, but the yellow is in operation tonight. So not everywhere, um, even though there's an orange out for for Dublin, just to be on your guard as well, actually places which haven't experienced Mm -hmm. the worst of the wind so far during the storm actually will experience them tonight, particularly for the Midlands and East. Okay, this is storm so back. actually a different type of weather that's moving in, where this morning is more coastal up along the east coast. Um, tonight it is solely winds we're looking at. Right, okay, so it's changed. The alert is still there, but the, the, the manner of the, or the, the description around it has, has changed to an extent. Um, yeah. And it could be heartening for people to hear as well that it, it could be back down to yellow again. It's unusual, well, it appears, the, the way the course this storm is taking. We're used to the traffic light system, but this storm in particular, a storm Barra appears very changeable. That's true. Then the reason for that is because the centre of the low is tracking right in over Ireland, where normally our storms um, basically skirt past the northwest of, of Ireland. So that allows kind of a southwest wind veering west to northwest. But in this instance, because the centre of the low is tracking right in over Ireland, it allows for cyclonic variable winds. And um, so the winds are peaking at different times in different areas. It's flat calm. So it's extremely complicated situation for that for that reason, really. And um, it's just as well now we have um, the colour scheme to allow us to emphasise, you know, which county is in yellow or orange or red, you know, depending on the time. Yeah, we were talking to um, my colleague Eric Clark at the top of the programme from La Hinch in County Clare, where it's still fairly wild tonight and that red alert remains in place until 1am. Are we likely to see um, potentially more devastation overnight? I mean, the, the firm warning is there that this storm has not passed. No, no, it has not passed. Those warnings still stand. Nothing's going to change with any other warning now tonight. Um, so the west and northwest of Ireland, that will be the focus in the short term. And then later tonight, the Midlands and the east. And obviously we do have storm force winds for the northwest um, at sea and in over the Irish Sea into the early hours of tomorrow too. So um, no, the, the worst of the storm has far from passed. Um, so the, the northwest hasn't yet experienced the worst of the winds. The, the peak winds are on the way to there at present. And actually the Midlands and parts of the east haven't yet experienced their highest winds. So they're going to experience their highest winds overnight tonight and first thing tomorrow morning. Can you say at this point, Siobhan, that we're looking at more storms for the winter? It's been pretty mild to date and then yeah. Storm Barra has come upon us. Um, looking ahead, are we likely to see more unpredictable weather? 
Yeah, well, our, our autumn was like exceptionally mild and dry and it was almost like an extension of summertime. Um, obviously, this is the second named storm of the season. The first one, Arwen, kind of did impact us, but not really. Um, it was more like a blustery day. Obviously, the northeast of England got a hammering from that, obviously high winds and some um, heavy snowfall there. So obviously, this is our first real storm, even though it's the second named storm um, of the season, Barra. So I think Corey is up next. Whenever that will come to pass, I don't know, but I would expect it will happen, certainly before winter's out. <laughs> OK, so Storm Corey is the next one to keep an eye out Corey, for. that's correct. OK, yeah. well, between now and then, and hopefully um, the destruction in this case, that it won't be too huge an impact that Barra's had on us for, for everyone up and down the country who's you know, bearing the brunt of it at the moment. Um, thank you so much, Siobhan, for, for joining that's us and bringing us care. up to date on the situation. Now, coming up after the break, we take a look at trade this Christmas period. But are retailers seeing the tills ringing this festive season? Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, tomorrow is traditionally the pre-Christmas shopping day right across Ireland, but with retail sector workers among the highest pop recipients, is the sector in danger this Christmas season? And joining me here in studio is Virgin Media economics correspondent Paul Colgan, Fianna Fáil Senator Mary Fitzpatrick, and via Skype tonight by Deputy Chair of Retail Excellence Ireland uh, and owner of Willow.ie, Jean McCabe. I don't know if it's Jean with us there. We'll get to Jean shortly. Um, Great. Thank you for joining us tonight, Jean. I'm going to come to you first as a retailer. Um, much has been made of trying to claw back the losses that have during this pandemic. And obviously Christmas is a really big time um, for the sector. How's it going now? I mean, we're talking, we were mentioning there December 8th. It was traditionally the big shopping day. Of course, that's changed with the advent of online shopping and Black Friday and everything else. But all the same, it would have been a big week for footfall, wouldn't it? Yes, uh, those start of the Christmas season for us. Um, I guess up to the middle of November, there has been a, a steady trade in retail kind of across the board with the increase in the COVID numbers and the work from home policy. That's definitely seen a significant impact on footfall within city and town centres across the country, especially city centres. When you look at places like Dublin, where they really rely on that workforce within the city to help drive footfall and help drive retail sales. So it, it's probably been a little bit of a slow start to the Christmas season with that. It's been mixed across the board. Some sectors reporting really good trade trade up to now and, and doing really, really well in Black Friday. In my own area in fashion, um, it's been quite mixed. So if you consider that the weather has been quite warm up to now, it hasn't been cold. So therefore sales in, in knitwear and coats and outerwear has been a little bit slower. Um, Black Friday then was quite good. We found we traded exceptionally well online on our website, willow.ie. And um, now obviously a slower start with the the, the storm warnings um, and again having a big impact on retail sales. So if you actually consider December is worth 1.5 billion to the Irish retail economy for, for that month and uh, if you break that down today it probably costs the economy between 200 and 250 million in retail sales in bricks and mortar stores. Okay, would you have been expecting to do a lot better this year? 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I think what you're going to see now is the losses that were kind of made today and, and maybe tomorrow with the, the poor weather, that'll compound into the weekend. So you're, you're going to see that trade kind of being made up over the next um, week. And you just hope that the mi- people are mindful of shopping local and shopping Irish and um, that, you know, that they're, they're constantly thinking about shopping on Irish websites and not sending the money abroad. Okay, um, I'd like to bring my panel in here. And Paul, I suppose when we're looking at the precarious situation that's faced retail over the last couple of years, this was the time really, wasn't it, for them t- to make the most of it. But it, it's, it's been very challenging. Yeah, they didn't get the break that they expected to get. That anticipated bounce that once we came out of lockdown, which retail did experience, I suppose, over the summer, and the fact that you had people staying in the country who might have otherwise gone abroad in in different years, they did get a bounce out of that, but you've definitely seen things fall away a bit since September and October, and and that's seen in the official retail spending figures. It dropped month on month in September and October, and you see it in the consumer sentiment surveys. People are that little bit more anxious than they perhaps they were. Perhaps they believed earlier in the year that the vaccines would solve all of our problems, that COVID wouldn't be something we were even talking about at this time of year, but they've sensed that it's going to hang around for a while. And then that general anxiety has been fed into by all the the discussion around Omicron and, and people are holding on to some of that money. Yeah, those billions that they saved. Because that was the, that was the thing. We we heard there's so much money that the people have been saving. They haven't been going on those holidays, as you say. And you may have thought around Christmas that they might have wanted to splurge, but that's not the case. Unfortunately, that, that that's not the case. The, People saved in general around 15 billion euro during the various lockdowns, and it was expected by the central bank and so on that nine billion of that would find its way back into the the economy. And it seems that that time frame will be a bit extended. Perhaps when people, if Omicron doesn't prove to be as disruptive as people fear it will, then that money will get spent in the new year. But this this is the time of year and that symbiotic relationship between hospitality and retail, one benefits the other. That has been affected by the new restrictions on hospitality. 
the new advice to work from home you've seen it in footfall tourism perhaps won't get the bounce we expected and tourists spend a lot of money in particular in Dublin city centre so all of this is sort of damaging the Christmas period though it's not going to be a disaster either Retail Ireland expects over 5 billion euro will be spent but certainly there, there there's a bit of uncertainty there that wasn't there a couple of months ago. Yeah the uncertainty is a big thing also those restrictions that, that Paul was talking about Mary for example working from home it, it, it pulls back on the footfall in places like uh, I think Jean was even mentioning Ennis there and then what's it like in a capital where you have so many office blocks and people just simply aren't going into work therefore they're not going to hit the shops at lunchtime maybe meet friends afterwards and, and go shopping then as well it's having a big impact this year. Yeah Jean it is our, our clarity is and as Jean said in, in Ennis you know but also in the city centre here in Dublin the footfall the absence of it the absence of the office workers foreign tourists and Omnicrom I completely agree with you Paul you know I, I just think things are very fragile I think people feel very fragile I think people are quite exhausted we'd all love it was a December 8th like you know previous years but I think also Paul said and, and Retail Ireland has said that they are expecting spending to be at 5.4 billion this Christmas that's marginally up on 2020 so it's not a disaster we need we need to be careful not to talk ourselves into a disaster it's really important that people go out and get their booster the boosters are hugely effective yeah. we have a million people boosted already okay. we can get to another million by, by January and it's really important that we do that because that will allow our retail, our, our hospitality to reopen, it'll allow the restrictions to be released. So it's really important well, that we do I mean, try the, to stay positive. Yeah, the whole thing is we don't we don't really know, do we? There's there's so much uncertainty that even sure. this restriction date of January 9th, it may not be that. It could go yeah. beyond that again. So that's the uncertainty that we were talking about. Just on the fact that the PUP payments last week, people may have thought hospitality, the payout to, to, to hospitality workers would have been greater, but actually it was the retail sector that really took the most payments. Um, it just shows you yeah. how difficult things are are the supports there for them now yeah and, and, and actually you know you're, you're right things are changing all the time and, and at the height there was 600,000 people receiving pandemic unemployment payment and there's been more than 8 billion spent rightly so to protect people's livelihoods last week it was just under 9,000 retail and wholesale workers who were on the pandemic unemployment payment mm. each and every one of them are on that payment because they need that payment for their livelihoods the supports are there in place government has spent more than 40 billion in terms of supporting businesses it's really important that that money is spent so that people can regain okay confidence. i just want to ask jean about that um, we're hearing there from mary that the supports are there do you feel that the sector is well supported do you as a business owner and a retailer feel that you can get through this and that the government supports will, will help you in that regard or does more need to be done at this point? The EWSS is there but it's only applicable if you're trading under 30% and I don't know many businesses that can afford to trade under 29% and still meet all their costs. So there is a gap there for, for retailers that are trading under 30%. It's there until April. Um, I think it's certainty going forward that we need and I think for the consumer that's the biggest piece, the discussion there around the variance and the booster and, and creating certainty within the marketplace. I think is probably key to getting that consumer to spend the money that they have saved over the last number of months. I think December is going to be a funny trading period. I think some sectors will do okay and others will um, find it a little bit sluggish. But I just hope that that five billion spend will um, come to fruition by the end of December. And um, we'll just have to wait and see the impact of um, restrictions going forward. And let's hope, fingers crossed that we don't see any more. Do you think retailers may go into early sales this year? 
I don't think they can afford to. Um, I think margin is key in retail and if they are to be able to meet their costs, um, people are going to spend at Christmas and I, I would hope that a majority of retailers will, will hold off as long as they can before there will be sales. I'd imagine January sales as usual, um, but I certainly won't myself be going into sale before Christmas. Margin's key. Okay, margin is key, but Paul, um, I suppose the importance too for people, if they're spending the sense of, you know, buying Irish, I mean, it's very competitive out there. We have Amazon now um, coming in directly into the marketplace, landing here in Ireland. It puts more pressure, doesn't it, on the small businesses? Yeah, and they're, they're coming in in a major way um, with one of their, their massive warehousing operations. Traditionally, during this period of time in retail, you're, you're seeing, seeing about 200 million euro being spent and, and Barra has come along and has damaged at least two days out of this week. And I think the hope is that either that money gets retained and gets spent at the weekend, there's a hope within retail that this weekend will be a very, very big weekend as a result of Barra. But some of that money will leak online. Now, I was down at Jean's business earlier this year to do some filming there, and she has, she'll tell you about it, she has an entirely new online operation. She has her own photo studio and so on. So certainly Retail Excellence and other representative groups are encouraging businesses, small businesses, to get online and to take some of that money back. And certainly there has been moves in that regard, but Amazon is, is, is a big, big beast, and it's getting bigger all the time, and there's certainly... It presents massive challenges to small retailers. Okay, there we'll leave that conversation. My thanks to Jean, who joined us via Skype um, from County Clare tonight. Paul and Mary will stay with me because coming up after the break, the Bank of Mum and Dad inflates deposits for first time mortgages to €52,000. Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, the average deposit needed to buy a home is now €52,500 for a first-time buyer and €135,000 for a mover purchaser. That's according uh, to figures from the Banking and Payments Federation. And the Bank of Mum and Dad is playing a huge role in funding the purchase of homes for sons and daughters right across the country. Wafina well, Falls Senator Mary Fitzpatrick, economics correspondent uh, Paul Calkin is still with us, and Social Democrat TD Aquino Callaghan. And via Skype, uh, we're also joined tonight by personal finance expert Paul Merriman on this matter and it seems that parents are helping out in a very big way. Paul I want to come to you first on this. 42% um, of first-time buyers now getting a, a dig out from the bank of mum and dad. When you hear that average deposit um, of 52,000 euro it doesn't come as a big surprise that people might need um, a bit of help, a bit more money than what they've already saved. It's a lot, of, it's a lot for a first-time buying couple, say, to save, or somebody buying a loan, for that matter, even more. Yes, you're 100% right. It's a massive amount of money. Um, but also, I think, if you look at the previous Bank of Federation report showing that the average uh, first-time buyer is now over 34 years of age. Um, so I think it's no surprise that parents are helping uh, their children uh, to get deposits and get out of the family home and get out of the nest and get into their own property. I think this has been a uh, story over the last number of years, and it's no surprise to see it. But let's not be too hard on first-time buyers. Yeah, you know, 96% of them have used their own money and saved. They're saved nearly uh, 800 million has gone towards deposit this year's as well. This year as well, 
Um, so they're doing the best for first-time buyers, a very challenging market out there. Um, and, you know, it's being created by a massive lack of supply, uh, which has obviously driven house prices up. Um, and it's an absolute nightmare. Um, so to be honest, I'm not surprised to see more coming in from parents and more support for parents. Uh, I think that's going to continue as a trend going into the future. I can't see it stopping anytime soon. Uh, puts people that have parents in that financial situation at more of an advantage, maybe. Um, but that's being massively driven by government policy, a lack of housing policy and supply and demand issues in the country. Yeah, people will be wondering yeah. about the tax implications um, for family loans, um, or if they're not loans, if they're gifts, if it's advance inheritance. What does it mean in terms of your tax liability as parents if you're um, giving these large sums of money to your kids? Are, are, will revenue be watching? Uh, well, revenue were supposedly watching up until the last finance bill. There was rumours coming that they were going to change how loans from parents down to children uh, were going to be recorded or reported back to the revenue commissioners. They were looking at a little bit of a, a kind of a, an, an increase in tax there. But that hasn't come true this year. I don't think it will. I don't think it's going to be a popular thing for revenue to do. And it's going to be very little tax take there as well. But as a child, the child can receive a lifetime gift or an inheritance up to 335,000 Claire over their lifetime. Um, so without the loan piece, if a parent wants to gift their child money, once it's under that 335,000 uh, lifetime threshold, there's no tax to be paid. And in fairness, there's not many parents out there gifting that amount. The average is probably coming in and just seeing there uh, for first-time buyer deposits, about 52 grand. We know that most first-time buyers are saving. Very few are getting full deposits off their parents uh, as in gifted down or loaned to them so um, yeah I, I can't see it being an issue that revenue should be looking at here I don't think I don't think there's real any news I don't think there's any money to be uh, gained to the exchequer by doing this either it's not enough money for them um, might have one or two knowledge out there but overall it, it's small it's small bread that might be on the table I don't think it's going to be an issue for parents or for children going forward okay um want to bring the panel back in here and Paul, what does this say about the market that people are increasingly, well some would say they were always sort of reliant or there's always been a trend there for parents to maybe a bit of advanced inheritance or otherwise, but that they are increasingly um, reliant on their parents, not just first time buyers, but people who are selling up and buying a second home. Yeah, so the, move, the mover purchasers, as, as they call them, 150 million euro in terms of gifts went to the first-time buyers in the first six months of this year, but 65 million went to mover purchasers from their, from their parents or from their family. They, they were given a gift in order to make that transaction. And I suppose you had an entire generation who were in negative equity for so long and were trying to get out of a property and found it so tricky that this extra money was required. And this goes back five or six years. This certainly isn't a new phenomenon. Even further, affordability for many people has been stretched for so long now. This isn't just something that's come along in the past couple of years. I think Davy Stockbrokers pointed out as far back as 2016 that affordability for the vast majority of people for in terms of house prices was becoming stretched. And we've seen house prices increase dramatically even since then. So this is something that's not going to go away. And it, it's another sign of, of a broken system. And it suggests that housing is becoming the preserve of the better off yeah. people who have parents who, who have plenty of money in the bank and, and they're the sort of people who, who, who can compete whereas ordinary couples, people on ordinary income simply can't. Yeah. Isn't that the point of it Mary Fitzpatrick? When you look at this bank of, bank of mum and dad, how does that sit with housing for all? Yep. Isn't it really a case of background does matter here if you want to get a home? His, historically and as Paul, both Pauls have said, the 
the issues have been around affordability and supply. And in terms of supply, we're coming out of a decade of undersupply. So Paul is absolutely correct. This problem hasn't arisen in the last six months, 12 months, or even the last couple of years. Uh, it, has, it is a problem that has emerged over the last decade. And I, I would agree with Paul Merriman. I think we need to give credit to first-time buyers. The vast majority of them are saving. And even in that report today... And they still today, can't afford a home. I, 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 six out of ten of them were not relying on the bank of mum and dad. And none of them should have to. And that's why Housing for All is changing that. Housing for All is going to deliver 300,000 homes over the course of the plan. It will deliver, you said there, housing is becoming the preserve of those who are wealthy. 90,000 of those homes will be social homes. 56,000 of those homes will be affordable homes. Affordable homes at an average price of 250,000. And we will do that because we will have the state lead on yeah. the provision of housing. No, no, this is really important for your listeners because I, I have young adults living with me. I don't want them living with me when they're 34 and 35. Will you, Their will parents you be, don't will you want be them helping that. them buy a home, no, do you think? No, I won't. My parents didn't help me buy a home. I wouldn't be in a position to do that for my children. And I think most parents aren't in a position to do that for their children. I think it is really important that the state intervenes in this. Well, and that are, is why... Well, they are. We're seeing 42% of first-time buyers are getting help from their parents. Now, it might be hard for their parents absolutely, to do that. Absolutely. But they are in that situation, as Paul Merriman explained, but the they're still majority, living under their roof but, and they're like, OK, it's time, it's time to help you out here. Yeah. But Claire, the vast majority of parents wouldn't be in a position to do it. And that's why the state is leading on the provision of housing, affordable housing. It is going to use state-owned land to reduce the cost and make housing okay. more affordable. It's also going to financially support first-time buyers. It's doing it already with the Help to Buy, where it is providing up to 30000 of a deposit for first-time buyers already. And in the shared equity scheme, where it is providing a financial equity okay. loan. And all of this Really is important, enabling young people and first-time buyers to own their own home. Okay. And all of these things, we're hearing the shared equity scheme, um, help to buy. Then we got Bank of Mum and Dad in the background. Um, it, 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 at the end of the day, it's very difficult at the moment for people to buy a home. This... Um, idea that we, we are increasing supply because we've had more building commencement, especially now in the latter part of this year. Are we going to see that play out? Do you think, Keen, that it's going to mean homes will be more available for people from next year onwards? See, one of the issues with the supply is, that, is the type of supply. So there's 31,000 commencements recently, and that is very positive. But then you break down that 31,000, you start to look at where, who, you know, where are they, who's building them, what are they for? Huge amount of those are actually apartments for the built rent uh, sector in primarily in Dublin. So it's investment funds and they won't be available for purchase. If you then take out the, the one-off homes that are built, you take them out of the equation. The actual amount of homes out of that 31,000 that will be available for individuals on the open market to buy is actually quite small. So we need a much better supply of affordable homes that people can, can buy. That's the missing missing piece of the jigsaw here. And over the last year, and Mary's right, there's, this issue's been, been around for years, but over the last year, house prices have increased by 12%. So it's getting, it's getting worse at the moment. That's why we need to have much more affordable homes built, much more cost rental as well for people who are renting. If you look at places like Vienna and Austria, you're looking at monthly rents of a two-bed apartment for 650 euro to maybe 750 euro a month for a newer property. Uh, and you look at rents in Ireland and you look at rents in Dublin, they're most expensive in Dublin and the European Union, for example. Well, Claire, I mean, I think the irony of um, the Social Democrats arguing for more affordable housing when they voted 
against the affordable housing bill, which will see local authorities build affordable homes at a price point of 250,000, where it will see the local authority use state-owned lands and the Land Development Agency to deliver affordable cost rental, just like what Kian has described to us. In Vienna, 60% of the population lives in public housing. The affordable cost rental model is a model that has been spoken about for decades. It has never been delivered. We've not only legislated for it, okay. we have actually funded it, and people are beginning to live like, in those homes I'd, now. I'd like to uh, let Keane come back in on that. It's something you haven't supported. They voted, to be, to they voted very, against the affordable, clear, voted we, against we voted affordable housing. against the affordable bill because the shared equity scheme was in that. The shared equity we scheme is based affordable. on a scheme in the UK which has seen an increase in house prices, no. an increase in profits for developers. It was lobbied for here by the developer and property industry. They lobbied heavily for it. All the independent uh, experts on it have said that this will lead to a further increase in house prices. So we were voting against a measure that we know will inflate house prices even, even further. And we, we would make no apology for that. It's, it doesn't make sense to keep putting more and more money into uh, putting, putting house prices up even further. That won't help okay. people in terms of the, affordability. The, the, and it certainly didn't help in, in the UK, which is where that, that scheme was taken the, from. It increased, it, it increased housing provision by 14% in the UK. But it is... Sorry, it is I, think it that is, was in, I think it actually increased the price of houses in, in no, London. In London, it did. But it, 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 so in somewhere like Dublin also. If, if I can finish the point, Claire. The, the point is this, that the comparison was made in a scheme in the UK. It didn't take into account any of the control factors that have been applied to the scheme in Ireland. The controlling factors are that they will only be available for new built homes. They will only be available for first-time buyers. There is a price cap on the properties. We, we also just euro in know, Dublin uh, absolutely, Keen, Keen, you and I both know that at 500,000 is not affordable. You and I both know that the core of the affordable housing bill is that the local authorities will lead in the provision and the building of affordable homes, that it will provide affordable cost rental, that we will use state-owned okay. lands, state-owned lands and to build affordable homes. Have, yeah, and, but and that is the core that, of it, yes. Claire, and that's what will and make the, the promise, difference. But we'll have to see how, what actually happens here. Paul, we will have more supply, we're being told. Say we're seeing, we, we had a stalling of building during the pandemic and now we are seeing more building, notwithstanding the fact that some of them will be apartment blocks and will take quite a while to come through. Um, we're also going to see pent-up demand though, aren't we? Yeah, and people have saved a lot of money dur during the various lockdowns. There is no doubt about, about it. it we, we live in a very wealthy country where, where some people have a lot of money. Uh, unfortunately, at the minute, if you are to compete with some of the buyers in the market in terms of cash buyers, in terms of institutional investors, in terms of larger landlords, you do need that firepower. And this is w why this is becoming more of an issue. And by the way, the figures that were presented today by the Banking and Payments Federation are being disputed by many brokers who believe that the actual figure is much, mm. much higher, that we could be looking at close to a, to a billion euro in terms of money coming from, from the bank of, of, of mum and dad. Because in order to go out there and compete with these guys, you simply have to have a big chunk of change. Uh, yeah. That's just the way the system well, works. Would you, would you, I mean, you're talking to people every day who are looking for financial help and doing something like buying a home. Are you seeing that, that actually there, there's more than the deposit being paid in in order to secure that, that coveted house that people are so desperately looking for? 
Um, yes, you would see. I think, first of all, there's definitely going to be a pent-up demand here in relation to the supply. I mean, there's a lot of houses being built, I think, as Keane has mentioned already, but they're not going to be fit for purpose for the average uh, worker going out to buy a house. Um, we get a lot of people trying to plan for a mortgage, obviously, but surprisingly enough, we get a lot of people now that are, instead of planning for children's third-level education, they're actually trying to put financial plans in place so they can get deposits for their children. And these are people with six-year-olds, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, etc. They're now seeing the biggest financial order for their children in the future not being college education it's actually trying to get them out of family home and onto a house I mean people with young children are there are people you're saying there's there are parents with six-year-olds who are already planning to help them buy a, a home down the line they're already in the financial uh, space. They're actually taking the children's allowance money and they're recycling that in where that would typically be used for third level education funds. And then they're already starting to say, this will be handed to try and get the child the deposit in the future because they know there's no hope of their children probably getting on the property ladder unless the bank and mom and dad are in the background. And we've clients like that every day that we come in from a financial planning point of view. And as for mortgage holders now, people are going for mortgages. We have hundreds of applications for people that have approval and principles but have no homes. So I'm telling you now, the pent-up demand for next year is going to far outstrip whatever we build in this country and it's going to be the same in 2023. Um, there's just simply not enough supply. Uh, and I have to agree with Keen there talking about, you know, uh, the developers and talking about rent-to-buy schemes that they should be just completely banned and just gone out of the country. There's no need for them at the moment. That the way it was maybe 10 years ago when we were struggling to build, but it's absolutely ludicrous that you can build apartments and houses up and down the country and lock first-time buyers out of that marketplace. And lastly, it will say as well, Mary's point is to help the buy is there. It is great. It's probably like All the right. bank of mum and dad. This is one of those debates that will run on and on. We will get to it again, of course, but that is it from us. My thanks to all of my guests tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. From all the late team here, good night and take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.